Welcome to Doing the Most, the series where we talk about the misadventures of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Georgie, execution strategist and serial entrepreneur. This series is here to get real about what entrepreneurial life truly looks like. We are driven, persistent, hardworking, ambitious. We are human, and these are our stories. Welcome back to Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. Today, I'm here with John Lin, the CEO and founder of Sella. So I've known John Lin for a really long time. I'm super excited to have him on the show to share his journey as an entrepreneur and like the work that he's doing. So John, can you talk a little bit about who you are? So just give us a, like a short bio of yourself. Yeah, sure, Georgie. And, you know, um, thanks for having me on. Uh, pleasure to be sharing my story on, uh, on your platform. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, so uh, I work at a company called Sella. Uh, we build accelerator programs and we bring accelerator programs together in events. So that means typically on the building accelerator side that will be hired by a corporation or a university or a government or an investor group. And they will ask us to come in and design an accelerator program from a curriculum point of view, a mentor uh, structure point of view, uh, skills, outcomes, technology, sourcing participants and startups, everything that goes into making a program world-class and work. The other side is on the bringing accelerator programs together. So as we've been out looking for partners to build accelerators with, looking for those corporations, looking for those universities, governments that want to hire us to build an accelerator. We've seen that there's a lot happening in this space, that it's not just us, it's growing fast. There's a lot of different things happening. Everyone's doing it their own way, which is awesome, because I mean, this is a super creative moment in this industry, but it also means that for us to move forward faster, we've got to come together and be talking and connecting about how we create these platforms, what we can promise entrepreneurs that they do, and how we can be sure that we're delivering that. So our events are intended to bring accelerators together for all of those reasons. The biggest event that we do is the Cellus Summit, which has been recognized by incumbents in the industry, Techstars, Global Accelerator Network, Forbes, NASDAQ, as the first and only Global Accelerator Summit ever in the history of the industry. Um, and so we have program leaders from all over the world come into New York City once a year and join us to have a really important conversation about how we can work together, what the challenges are, and ultimately how we can come um, build support for founders in the best way possible. So uh, between building accelerator programs and bringing accelerator programs together, that is what Sella is. Awesome. And so what got you to the point of sell? Like what made you decide to start or, you know, be a part of this organization and see that there was like this need, like, how did you come across that? Sure. So it's a long story. I don't know how much we got time. <laughs> <laughs> detail you want on it. The high level is that Sella is an iteration on a progression 
of approaches to solving this problem that I've been a part of. Mm -hmm. And that means having been an associate at Techstars, having directed the Startup Institute uh, boot camp, having built a nonprofit network of accelerator programs, having built a previous company with a co-founder, a couple co-founders that did accelerators as a service, to understanding that you can have a great track record and awesome delivery, but without a brand, it doesn't matter. And breaking up the company, starting again, building a brand around our activities and having that be the seller platform that's that, that, that's really taking leadership in the space now. So, um, you know, there have been many different uh, projects that have uh, that have attempted to bring accelerators together or to build accelerators in as many spots as possible that I've been a part of. Uh, and Sela is uh, the, the biggest step forward in, in that path so far. Love that. And so let's take a little, you know, let's go back in the Wayback Machine and talk about the like way let's do it. <laughs> the Wayback Machine and talk about, you know, what got you started as into the field of like working with startups and technology and entrepreneurship? Was that something that you were always passionate about? And, you know, if so, like, where did that passion come from? And if not, then where did it like, where did it all start for you? That's a great question. That's a hard question too, <laughs> um, but I'll do my best. So I was not interested in being an entrepreneur at you know, at any point in my childhood or adolescence or early, early adulthood. Um, I had been really passionate about tennis and about writing. I studied literature in college and did well with that, but graduated in 2008 to not a lot of options and moved back home, started teaching tennis, delivering Chinese food. I took up my younger brother's delivery route as a graduated college uh, student and um, ended up taking whatever jobs I could get. I got opportunities helping build a presidential campaign. I got an opportunity to as a volunteer. Um, I got a chance to intern at a PR firm that I thought might be a good way for me to flex my literature abilities. I ultimately got a job as a broker selling uh, a weird set of financial products here in New York City. <laughs> a weird set. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and discovering a talent for sales. Um, and so I built a really good book of clientele, which I didn't really ever expect myself to do. And I had a small team. At this point, was about 25, 26. And after doing that for a few years, felt like I think I should go back to doing something that I, I'm, I want to be doing and that I can do with intention and passion. So um, I've been paying attention a lot to things that were happening. This is still 2011, 2012, 2013. Twitter just really becoming popular. Facebook growing a lot. Um, Groupon was a big thing at that point, if anybody remembers that. And so the startup narrative was becoming very present. And I enjoyed being creative with and thinking about what was possible on the internet in, in the same way I'd been thinking about literature before. And so I um, ended up going to a, an accelerator 
that was built by Techstars, but it was not for founders. It was for people that wanted to work at a startup. Uh, the biggest problem that early stage companies face, and this is still true today, is talent. So if you are a founder and you build a great product and you get funding and you have a co-founder and all these awesome things are happening, your hands are still tied if you can't find the right team to build around yourself. And so what Techstars Boston did in 2012 was to take a step back, look at why the Techstars Accelerator was working. Because remember, Techstars Boston was the second Techstars location outside of the original location in Boulder. So this is super early, not just in the growth of the industry, but also in the history of Techstars as a company. And so they realized that the way that they built the accelerator program for entrepreneurs could be used to actually attract and prepare individuals to work at startups instead of just building. And so that program is called Startup Institute. And I went through in the first program in 2013 as a student, uh, hoping that I could leverage my sales experience to get a job in sales at a startup and you know, officially transition from being a sort of creative to being a, a business person. Um, now, because the Startup Institute model was the Techstars model and because it was driven by the same community, you ended up getting a lot of the same opportunities as an individual that you would get as a company at Techstars by going through this program. You would get exposed to investors, yeah. You get exposed to founders. You get exposed to colleagues who are have the same goals in the space and that you can sort of journey forward with. And it's a really important part of why these programs work. You'd be exposed to sponsors and companies that you could find collaboration or progress with. And with all those things, yes, you can find a way to get a job at a startup, but you can also start your own startup. And so I got in contact with, um, a, one of my, I guess my first mentor in that program. And he was the CEO of a tech stars company that had raised $2 million. He was a PhD, just seemed like the smartest, strongest person I ever, I ever met. Um, and for whatever reason was open to getting coffee with me and then getting a beer with me and then hearing about my problems and then helping solve those problems. And as we, sort of move that relationship forward, I ended up starting a company. And um, that company was able to attract a team. We got investors, a term sheet. Uh, we got a product out. And um, ultimately, my, my co-founder ducked out um, when we got the term sheet, which was really bad timing. <laughs> like, come on, dude. Yeah, or do that right? if it was a girl. It was, it was, it was a girl. Okay. And, yeah. and, um, and so, you know, at that point, sort of had to fail the company, but then got an opportunity to go to business school, the number one business school in entrepreneurship. And then I failed out of that within three months. Congrats. <laughs> and then at that point, uh, I had just enough failure in entrepreneurship to be qualified as an associate at the Techstars New York City program where uh, I basically had an internship. And that was sort of the end of my transition and the beginning of my current path in accelerators. Uh, but that's the, the, hopefully that's an answer to your question about how 
I sort of got into this space and some of the 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 problems and elements of of getting into it that that both obstructed and helped me um, get there. Yeah, so that definitely was an answer. And I want to highlight a few points from your um, story that you shared. So thank you for sharing that. You mentioned the fact that, you know, you didn't aspire to be an entrepreneur. You kind of just, once you got the knowledge and you saw like the industry and you saw the creativity that was happening because you had like, already innate skills, right? You you were passionate about literature. You were passionate about being a creative. So when you saw that entrepreneurship could offer all of those things, you're just like, it just made, it just clicked. And it's like, I guess maybe previously you had saw entrepreneurship as like, you have to be this brave and risky and daring and smart. And like this, this, you had an idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had like this preconceived notion of what it looked like and what it, like what, you know, an entrepreneur was supposed to be. And then once you realize like, wait, I have all the skills that are already included in this. Like I could do this. And so I just wanted to like shout that out because I feel like a lot of people, you know, that might be listening to this podcast or like watching it on YouTube might think, Oh, I'm not ready to be an entrepreneur yet. I need to get funding. I need to get, um, I need to have like a final solid idea. I need to have a team. Like they, they have these preconceived notions of what they should have or shouldn't have that it gets them um, to forget like that, well, the only thing that you should do is just start, right? Start somewhere with whatever you have and start meeting people, start engaging. Like you said, you got that mentorship. So you have something to add on? Yeah, I think that's, that. if I could ask for the audience to sort of remember one thing, it would be that. You don't know what is necessary for you to do the things that you want to do, or even if they are the things that you actually want to do until you start trying to do them. And the the best way to do that is to be communicating about what it is you think you want to do to people that are doing that thing Mm -hmm. and finding those mentors because not only will they give you the, the truth about what that life looks like, but they'll also give you your first small little opportunities to, to start on that, on that path and to, and to, uh, to start doing. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you have a mentor or somebody that, you know, that's helping you kind of test the waters, like a lot of people don't have that. They have to jump in like, and just go all crazy, but you have like a, essentially a coach or somebody that's going to say, Hey, just put your toes in or try this one step at a time versus just, you know, being pushed into like the deep end with like no support and either drowning or figuring it out. So just, you know, taking it, not advantage of that, but using that resource to your, to your advantage because they're, they want to help and people they can't help if they don't know what you need help with, right? That's like, I think that's like a key misunderstanding that a lot of folks have. Like, oh, that person didn't help me. Did you tell them what you need help with? Did you communicate what you were trying to do or your ideas or just simply just talk to them, had a conversation person to person um, versus like putting them to this pedestal. Like, oh, I, and, you know, and I think just in how we talk and communicate, and we can speak to this uh, a little bit, John, just like the condescending act of somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, I want to do what you did, but I don't have X. They just start with what they don't have versus saying like, I want to do what you did. All I have is this. And like coming from a point of like, um, what is it called? A point of like gratitude and like a point of like, I I know what I have versus like coming from a point of like, you know, a, a, a point of like, cup full half full of abundance yeah abundance exactly scarcity yeah Yeah, that's exactly the word i was looking for abundance i was just like i know all the examples don't remember the word so that's exactly it like coming from a place of this is i am abundant versus like i'm missing all these things and so 
you know, now let's get back to the to the journey. So now you you're in TechStars, you're being a TechStars associate. What um and so did you feel like you kind of silenced that entrepreneurial bug, or did you feel like being in this space kind of actually amplified it um, because you're around so many founders and entrepreneurs and everything? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the TechStars program was a huge opportunity not just at that time to be part of an early Techstars program in New York, but in general, being a part of a team at that level that is working with other great startups and teams with a great community behind it is just a real gift. So let's be sure to dive into that and, and, and how it became an advantage for me. But first, I do want to call out uh, what, uh, how important I think the point you just made is around um, around the mentor relationship and to clarify to people, you know, nobody teaches you how to source or manage that relationship and people are still experimenting with what it means. The, there, there is no good answer. I have my own perspective on what mentorship looks like and how to equip it and structure it. So does every other accelerator and, and investor and founder in the community. But for people in the audience that are hearing this encouragement around vocalizing what it is you think you want to people that you think can help and having an attitude of creativity and moving it forward, I think those are the three things that, no matter what you call it, uh, if, you, if you start doing, uh, things will start happening. So to your question, Georgie, in terms of uh, tech stars, the, one of the most powerful things that I learned in, uh, in that program was that everybody has challenges. And you can be sitting across from a founder who's running an eight-person company with $2 million in the bank that they've raised from investors that you've heard of only on the news, and you can find a way to help them. And they have things they're struggling with that you can step up to. Or if you are talking to a mentor in the Techstars network who is a legitimate billionaire or a successful founder or a government leader, that they have a problem that you can solve too. And to sort of understand that if, as long as a community is built around an expectation of sharing vulnerability and allowing others to help you on it, that that is really the engine of a great innovation community. Um, and that to me was, was really what was powerful about the tech startups experience. Yeah. And again, like just kind of being embedded and like having so many people around you that get it or experiencing it is going to be one of the biggest things. Cause I, I think a lot of people are afraid to enter rooms of entrepreneurs or enter rooms of their end goal, right? They're like, Oh, I'm not experienced enough. Right. They have all these, again, scarcity mindset, all these excuses as to why they should not be in that room just yet. And it's like, when I get to X, Y, Z point, then I could then enter the room. And the realistic factor of that is that that one, that room may not exist at that point. And then two, you know, the value that you could have given is not there. And then I, I, I like to call this thing, like the opportunity attracts opportunity, right? So you start by creating opportunities for yourself and doing what you what you need to do and think that needs to be done. And then with, with doing that, people will then see that, right? You have to show your work. You have to go out there. Cause if people aren't seeing it, then they're, it's like, they have nothing to go off of. So, cause we already have our like own lives to be consumed with and like things are, are happening. And how do we 
now get other people to take a stake in our lives and as well as taking a stake in their lives versus just like these um, transactional relationships that people are building. So now, you know, so now you have this great Techstars experience. And so what happened after you left Techstars and, you know, between after Techstars and then I think we go all the way up until like right before starting Stella. So if you want to talk a little bit to that part of the journey. Thank you for the time box. That helps me sort of structure <laughs> yes. the sharing. All 25 um, years. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, interrupt me anytime you want to dive into something or, um, or, or you want me to expand uh, or skip something. But... Um, so uh, at the end of the Techstars program that I was a part of, you know, I'd, I'd sort of been through two accelerators. I had been through Startup Institute, which was created in Techstars Boston, and I'd been through the Techstars program in New York City. And I had everything I needed to start another company and to do it really right this time, right? I was part of a bigger community. I was part of a really world-class community. I had access to a lot of mentors. I call up the Techstars Rolodex of investors. If I wanted to, you know, I, I could have given that a go. Um, but I looked at my experience trying to build a tech company and I looked at my experience being part of building an accelerator and I knew right away that my heart was inside of the accelerator space and that I wanted to stay at Techstars or at something like Techstars. Um, and at that point, the industry was still super new. This is 20, 2014. So the first accelerators in the world started in 2006. That was Techstars, NUMA, and Y Combinator. Uh, NUMA in Paris, Y Combinator in San Francisco, Techstars in Boulder. In 2009, there were eight programs worldwide. Uh, by 2012, there were, I think, 25. Um, but by the end of... By the beginning of 2015, end of 2015, the number had ballooned to like 2,500. Yeah, so the whole industry sort of reached this, this crest that it was being seen as something that every entrepreneur wanted to go through and that every investor wanted to have on their side and that every ecosystem needed to have. Um, and so right at the beginning of that, of that wave is where I was when Techstars ended. And so the founder of the Startup Institute Accelerator that I'd been through in Boston actually tapped me to direct their program in New York City as a result of my experience at Techstars. And so I moved over to Startup Institute and I started running the program that I had been through and in getting into the tech community, which despite being, it was my first salary job at age 28, um, you know, it, it, it had been a long arrival to get to that point and a very challenging, stimulating opportunity that I was very excited and scared of, but still felt a lot of insecurity around my identity as an entrepreneur, my ability to serve the students or to build the program, work with the team all things that I'd never done before. I just thought I could do. And so it was sort of facing this imposter syndrome kind of feeling that I, I realize is a big part of the entrepreneurial journey it, it, that I think makes it invaluable for anybody to pursue is that it requires you to put yourself into situations where you don't know what you are 
gonna act, how you're you're gonna respond. And you learn about yourself and your weaknesses and your strengths by being in that situation again and again and having to deal with that feeling. So imposter syndrome to me is not necessarily the feeling of inadequacy when you don't have it. it, it is just the nature of ambiguity. And that is sort of where I began to see a lot of growth that I never would have had starting my own company or becoming an investor or going back to being trying to be a writer. Getting a job as an employee at a startup was one of the most impactful learning experiences I've ever had because it gives you a really a, a really de- defined situation to resolve ambiguity with. So um, ended up running Startup Institute in New York for uh, two years as a program manager. And you know, we built, I think, seven programs. We worked with hundreds of students, uh, built a mentor network uh, of also hundreds from the tech community that would come in to give their time for free as volunteers to the students, four at a time, five at a time, uh, during the course of the program and, and, and it was really this, this magical thing to be a part of and uh, that, that I'm happy to dive deeper into in, in, in terms of what the, the learnings and difficulties were there. But ultimately, with that experience, we attracted the attention of the Verizon Innovation Lab in 2016. And the co-founder of Startup Institute, uh, who had hired me, who had built this program that I went through in Boston and then hired me to run it in, in New York, um, we decided to work together on building this innovation lab with Verizon. And so we started a company and were paid by Verizon to build out an internal incubation program for them. And that was the start of um, the studio project, which would later become Sella. Uh, and so at the same time that we were building out the Verizon program in 2016, 2017, we also became part of a separate initiative to bring together innovation programs and accelerators in New York City. And at this point, 2016, 2017, remember the number I said before, 2,500 accelerators were active by the end of 2015. That number has had continued to increase and the need for understanding what these programs are and for there to be conversation and connection around them was still increasing. So, there were a group of innovation programs that were putting on events for other innovation programs. Um, I was asked to become the chairman and and to formalize that organization, which I did. And so we were building uh, a for-profit service where we build accelerators for Verizon and other corporations. And we were running a nonprofit association of innovation programs. And we hoped that those would sort of help elevate our presence and credibility in the space and help us get more opportunities to build programs because that was that's really the central mission even today of Sela is that accelerators work because they offer things that all that are necessary to education uh, especially in the in the present and future day and uh, should be everywhere not just in tech and so we thought that binary of the for-profit and nonprofit could could really help send that message in a strong way. Um, what I learned is that <laughs> not only was that not true, <laughs> the misadventure now. <laughs> that, 
the, the misadventure big time. We had really prioritized moving fast above everything else, above communicating with each other and above placing structures on our relationships uh, with our co-founders, with our team members, with our partners and other programs. And those two mistakes are the reason that both of those organizations did not, were not successful. So fast forward to the end of 2017, uh, Verizon has dumped us as a client. So we lost our anchor. Yep. And the nonprofit that I had been asked to, to lead was now very excited to, to have me leave. And, and so I, uh, I, was, I was voted off of, off of that board completely and um, was really kind of inconsolable. Um, at the, that, that was Thanksgiving weekend, 2017. I went home uh, to visit my mother uh, and, and family for, the, for that weekend. I, I actually couldn't talk to anybody until the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I, I'd lost this co-founder that, you know, had been a, a real inspiration and, and mentor to me and, you know, built, built the program that I had, that had gotten me into the, into the community, hired me to run that program in New York and, and become, became my first real co-founder. And I had lost the, what I felt like I had lost the uh, support of the industry by losing this chairman position in the nonprofit. And so didn't even know if I had a future in the space by the end of, of 2017. And now that I'm t going through that, I don't really know how I move forward from that. I, I, I can't <laughs> describe, there was, there was no, pr there was no process. There, there was just a continual experience of anxiety and, and pain. And out of that, I decided to create a conference for the accelerator industry. Uh, and I uh, targeted a June 2018 uh, launch for that conference and relied, called up some friends that worked at accelerators uh, and had people that could help make a brand and market it and organize it. And we started making it. Uh, and so with some sponsorships that had come in from big corporations like Google, uh, Verizon, and some others was able to, to pay the way on this promise that we would have a global accelerator summit in June 2018, which I had never done before. No one had ever done before. And it wasn't even clear what would be, how it would be valuable even if it was done. But made that the focus, put my energy was attracted to that project. I didn't think twice about it. I just did it because I think I needed to. And it was successful. We had every major accelerator present, 500 startups, Techstars, Dream Adventures, uh, Numa, and dozens of others speaking and attending. Uh, it was a beautiful late spring day in June when we had it. Um, and uh, it was a real turning point because I realized there was an opportunity there, but uh, in the process and also sort of arrived as um, 
uh, sort of confident and, and, and clear in what I bring to the table as an entrepreneur, as a professional. And so got to the end of 2018, decided to really double down on doing that to create services that would be helpful for accelerators and to continue doing the conference. Um, and that was when uh, I created the uh, Incorporated Salon, which is where I'm supposed to stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we could stop here. Um, and so, you know, you did answer like inside of that. And like, that's why I was, I, I you know, let you like kind of tell the full story because, you know, I usually ask, you know, what's one of your biggest entrepreneurial misadventure? And you like hit that right on the nail in terms of like, that you know you were at this like you were at you were you had all this momentum you were going up and up and up and then it's like this unexpected crash that kind of like dropped you to like kind of you know ground zero and it's like now what do you do you have an option to either stay here and hang out like ain't nobody gonna kick you out but <laughs> you could stay here and hang out or you could do something about it and I think you know it wasn't just like one specific thing because like you say you're, you're not you're not you're not remembering like a, a, a pivotal moment but it's just like these little bits of moments that you know setting a goal and then you know start starting slowly to achieve that and figuring out okay who can I call and like just one step at a time one day at a time and um slowing down got you to a, 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 a now a steady and um like a good stabilized uh place and it's like you know entrepreneurship is never like truly like stable as like a flat line but it's more so now you have like good rhythm and you know what you want from what you don't want and what you're willing to do and like you said just you guys are moving too fast and just like respecting the pace of that so you know whenever you made that decision to do the conference in june you had a significant amount of time versus saying like oh we're gonna do something in june and it's already like march or it's already like may and so just you know respecting that like sometimes you have to slow down to speed up um, and, and it's not just speeding up in like a, let's move faster way, but it's more so like, let's be more productive, right? That's, you know, I talk about productive productivity and efficiency a lot. And just like, how can we be more efficient with our time, our energy and the resources that are allotted to us? So I really, um, appreciate you sharing that. And so, you know, now you're at 2019. So could you talk a little bit about like what, like one of the key lessons that you learned when you now have this new venture, things are going well. And like, how did you feel? Like how how did that make you feel did you were you excited like um was it what a great question scary? Yeah. Like, just talk to a little bit about that yeah so I'll, I'll talk about two things number one is what what that felt like and 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 where, where i was emotionally at that point and how that sort of affected the way that i built Sella to be just different enough from what i was doing before to be successful and you know, from the emotional side, what had become clear was that I had not just sort of worked through my own disappointments and sadness and anger in losing those companies at the end of 2017, but I'd also realized by building this conference successfully that um, I had been using entrepreneurship to work through other personal problems and conflicts that were really confusing me in life. And I think um but that's that, that that's something that probably drives a lot of a lot of creativity not just in entrepreneurship but in other things and i and and, and i think if, if people are aware of that listening to this um and, and can think about what are the other aspects of their life that might be driving them in this direction that the sooner you get to those answers um the the, the more successful you will be so ask those tough questions of your of yourself around what are the problems that you're facing? What are the relationships that drive you? And uh, they will 
uh, help pave the path forward. But um, that is all to say that by the beginning of 2019, when we're building, beginning to, I chosen to stay the course and sort of build, sell, and rebuild the services, that I wasn't feeling that anxiety anymore and had worked through it. And so with sort of clear, clearer goggles could see what was missing. And it became clear strategically that while in our previous iterations of the community and in the service, that there was a great team, that there was a great track record, that we had really good delivery, we had documentation, we had references from clients, that we still weren't winning. We still weren't getting big opportunities. And the reason was because you can have all those things. You can have a great team. You can have a great track record. You can have great ability. You can have um, great references. But if you don't have a clear, colorful message that people can connect with, that they can approach, and that they can bring others forward with, whether it's their boss or their team or their friend who could be your customer, then, then you're you're going to have a really hard time equipping anybody to help you. And it's, it's one of the things that you know, you've done so well, Georgie, in building the brands that you work with and, and really making it possible for uh, your messages to, to be inspiring and, and, and activating for, for your audience and, and for your customers. Um, and so kudos to that, but it was something that I learned, I, I learned only a couple of years ago. And so, the first investment that I decided to make was in building a brand around our message instead of just trying to get opportunities to, to prove that we could do it. It became important to tell the story at the same time, which is really, really hard. I think, um, you know, social media is, is great. There's a lot of sharing that goes on, but, but people also don't share a lot of the things that they should, whether it's as it's them as people or, or as, entrepreneurs because they feel incomplete. But it's so important to talk about where you want to be going as an entrepreneur or as a person as you walk the path, because otherwise it's just too hard for anybody to know where you're going or think you're going uh, to help. So, um, so I hired this great branding agency who was a mentor at, in the network of, uh, of one of the programs that I'd helped build, NUMA. And there's Andy Rooks from Theory Marketing Partners, um, who just came into the program that we ran uh, a couple weeks ago, Georgie. And um, we went through a, I think it was eight hour, 12 hour process of, yeah, diving deep uh, for a couple weeks in building a brand strategy. And so that meant looking at our messaging, at our mission, uh, having a 20-year goal, I had never thought one month ahead of my nose, right? Um, to think 20 years ahead was, was really liberating and a big part of what, what I think the power of the brand came from. We identified key values. We identified a, a, a tactical timeline for activities that year. We broke down the customer profile. We did it all when it comes to, to really being smart about a business. And it was giving, giving ourselves the space in that process to think holistically about what the company is and where it can go that made such a difference. And so um, brought in another 
uh, one of my old colleagues uh, from the, our mentor network, uh, who's a designer, and uh, Justin Kim. He built a really beautiful brand around the values and the messaging that, that, that we've defined in the brand strategy. And those two things together um, are what made Sal. And so uh, we relaunched the, the conference under that brand. We relaunched our monthly, all of our signature events under that brand, as well as our services. And what I immediately noticed happening was that people were saying, ah, I get it now. I, I always liked you, John, and I always wanted to help you. And I thought I knew what you were doing, but now that I can see it in the brand, in this message, I really believe it and I can really see it. So here's the person that you need to talk to or here's the project that you need to work on. And it was a really different story from that, 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 that moment on. Um, we built uh, a great conference that was even more international and global than, than our first couple runs. Um, we had programs from, I think, three different continents there, dozen different countries. Um, and that was great. And uh, it was additionally covered by Forbes and the NASDAQs. So we had all of our speakers. Uh, featured on, on those platforms and so got about halfway through 2019 and looking forward saw that a lot had gone better but also uh, the business was still not quite working so that's where piling on quickly we're having to ask for a little bit too much help uh, financially and otherwise from a few too many people and it was the the, the, the pressure was rising quickly by the end of just last year. And, you know, I said before, one of the big things that I feel was a part of the reason that the, the first versions of the company did not work out were because of communication and, and, and structuring relationships. And so by December last year, I was, you know, looking at 30 days at having to settle some of the company's debts or like fail again. And uh, started telling people not just how to help me, but what I was facing in terms of this is the amount of money we have in the bank account. This is these are the consequences that 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 that, that we're facing if we don't solve these problems. Here's the amount of time that we have to do it. Here's what I'm scared of and and trying to deal with it, um, and just really putting it all out on the table. Enabled people to come in and help more deeply. And instead of just saying, hey, here's somebody who's interested in accelerators, say, oh, you need a money opportunity. Here is a person that you should pitch on X, Y, and Z because you can do it. It's within the brand of the company and they need it now. Um, and so it triggered this different level of support, not because people cared more, but because I was giving them more to help me. Yeah. So you shared more, you were more authentic and like what needed to happen and so like that was like the key element um we're actually coming close to the we're actually pretty much at the end of our interview and you know i might have to invite you back on to kind of continue telling this story and like maybe like the next six months when you have the next seller summit which is happening in june am i right wrong maybe uh, it'll be well so the end of that story is we we, we solved all of our problems because we got an investor since i had been more clear with people on how to how to uh, help. Uh, we were invited to speak at the World Economic Forum, which legitimized our leadership in the space. And uh, we 
um, will hopefully be partnering with an important international organization during the UN Global General Assembly in September to do this year's summit. Nice. So you guys see, like, just being authentic, telling the truth, just like letting your guard down. Because if people, again, I, and we said this a couple times throughout this episode and just a couple times on the show, if people don't know how to help or know what you're really facing, they're not going to move as fast as you need them to or support them in the way that you truly support you in the way that you need to be supported. And so um, I like to ask my guests at the end, you know, what is one piece of advice that you'd like to leave the audience with, whether it's like a, a tangible thing to go and do or just like a mantra to live by or just whatever, you know, you want to leave as like the final piece of advice. Yeah. The, the feeling of discomfort is always an opportunity. If you feel uncomfortable bringing up a certain issue with somebody, if you feel uncomfortable about where a relationship is at or how a project is progressing, bring that forward, communicate that, and it will become an opportunity. Nice. Thank you so, so much, John, for being here with us, guys. Look out for the show notes and the comment section for how to reach um, John and Sella, but you can head on over to Sella, C-E-L-A dot N-Y-C to learn more um, and at Celerator on all of the different social media platforms. And you can connect with John Lynn on social media. And again, that information will be in the show notes in the caption section. So thank you so, so much for being here with us today, John. Thank you, Georgie. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Doing the Most. Catch us here next week, same time, same place. If you can't wait, head on over to doingthemost.xyz to stay connected. Until next time, keep on doing.